0: If my love for my children are just a fraction of God's love for me, then it's overwhelming what then God has his love for each and every one of us. You have found the podcast of Trustler Mennonite Church. And each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. This sermon was from February 25th, 2024, and the text was Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Our pastors have been taking us through a series of, uh, through 1 John. And a number of the things, as you uh, are reading through, a number of themes come out as you're reading through 1 John. Um, of course, John's call for holy, sanctified living, but more what I'm going to focus on and hopefully uh, maybe give some enlightenment on this morning are some of the other themes that keep coming out, at least in the first few chapters of 1 John, which would be more knowing God and understanding His love. Now, as soon as I say we're going to focus on knowing God and understanding His love, you might say, there's no way, if we're here for the next few hours of a sermon, that you're ever going to get to the bottom of those things, which I admit uh, that is not going to be my goal. So if you want an answer to exactly how we know God fully, and understand his love, then you might want to sneak out uh, quickly because we are not going to get a clear answer to that. Um, hopefully what I'm going to do this morning is just give a little a little facet, uh, a different lens to how we approach God, how we can know him, and get a different glimpse glimpse into the love he has for us. So again, we're not going to, in no way, shape, or form, try to tackle that probably impossible job of how do we know God and how do we understand his love? You know, these, these themes from 1 John, but maybe we'll get just a little, a little different wrinkle, a different lens on how we're going to look at that. Um, throughout recorded human civilization... Uh, Many, many different people groups have constantly tried to, they've recognized that uh, we know there's something greater than us, we know that there's a God, but in different ways and in different forms and in different pathways to get these questions answered, they try to figure out, you know, who is this God? That brought this world into existence. Who is this God that is greater than us? What is He or She like? What is His or Her nature? And probably for a lot of humans, whether it's now or a thousand or two thousand or five thousand years ago, what do what does God require of humans? Um, if there's one thing humans keep coming back to constantly throughout history and recorded civilization, it's constantly coming back to these questions trying to be answered. And they usually answer them in awful ways and with horrific results. You know, we could go back to the Mesopotamian deities, you know, um, some of the same gods and goddesses the Israelites were attracted to instead of trusting God and his promises to give answers of who is God-like, and what does he expect from us? Um, Or the Greeks who would go to the, make a long trek, or the Greco-Romans to the oracle at Delphi and ask a question of the priestess who was supposed to represent God and, excuse me, supposed to represent Apollo, and then in a state of ecstasy, supposedly, Possessed by Apollo, she would give some cryptic answer or prediction that you would then, obviously, figure out a way to interpret and how it applied to yourself or what was happening around you. Or uh, the cult of Sybil, the mother goddess, who when we read Paul's words to the Galatian believers and we're sort of questioning why would he make this statement about that, he's probably referring to this cult where again, trying to get an answer of who's in charge and why is, what is this God like or goddess and what do they want from us, they would, uh, in a state of ecstasy, uh, go through a level of self-harm and uh, all in the pursuit of who is this God and what is he like and what, what do they want from us. Or even up to the 1990s when a uh, professor in a university convinced uh, a number of followers under him that there was a alien ship in the tail of the hale Bop comet, and um, if you take these steps towards enlightenment, ultimately as that comet is passing Earth, we will uh, commit suicide, drink poison to escape the bonds of this earth and go join that alien ship uh, in the tail of the comet. Some of this obviously we can sort of look at and it's both somewhat parts horrifying and at some points amusing that human beings would avoid anything or uh, go to any lengths and listen to anyone or anything instead of Uh, what God has said about who he is and what he wants. But this is nothing new about what human beings we recognize and we want answers of who God is. We want to know him. We want to understand him. We want to, to understand what he wants from us. And Christians have struggled with getting these questions answered too, whether it's, you know, who is, who is Christ and what is his nature? How much is he God and how much is he human? And what does that mean when Paul says in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself in taking on humanity? And, or the how, how is God one? Like it, it says in, the, in Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God is one. How is he one yet manifested in the Father and the Son and the Spirit? Or, again, where where does God's sovereignty end, and where does man's free will and accountability begin? Again, from Tertullian to Origen to Augustine through the medieval church all the way up to the present, people are constantly trying to argue and figure out, well, what's the... How does this break down? Where does this line up? And though sort of they're all branching out in different arguments, they're all getting to the core argument of, well, who is this God? What is he like? What is his nature? And what does he expect from me? What does he expect from us? When it comes to knowing God, again, we are not going to open any or uh, unravel any mysteries or secrets or crack anything this morning. Um, but just looking at it from a different perspective, we know in trying to answer the question, how do we know who God is? We have, Christians have struggled with this. In different ways, in different forms. Uh, Which God do we serve? The kind, loving, uh, generous portrayal of God in the Gospels, or as the accusation is made by some, the jealous and genocidal maniac of the Old Testament. Well, which is the God? Which is God that we serve? And As the author of Hebrews says, you know, about the person of Jesus, he is the exact representation of God's nature. If we want to look to who God is, we start by looking at Jesus. And if we have any other misnomers of who God is, it's not God and his nature that is wrong. It's our perspective and our coming to that point. So we look to Jesus, and we understand, again, like the author of Hebrews argues, that Jesus himself and his words and his teachings represent God's nature and his heart and his love. And when we look then to Jesus, the example that he sets for us in the Gospels, in response to his disciples asking, how do we pray? How do we approach God? How do we call out to him? How do we communicate? How do we talk to him? You know, how do we pray to him? He taught us to approach him as our father. Now, uh, usually in my classes, this is where I try to make a statement. uh, You know, God is not our father like, or God is not the father like the Greco-Roman gods, which would have had to been a clear distinction you'd have to make. Uh, the Greco-Roman gods that were very anthropomorphic and they they would lie and cheat and steal or back to the Mesopotamian deities in the epic of Gilgamesh where they were sleeping and the Gilgamesh and others were partying too loud and they woke them up and they are angry and that's why God was going to destroy the world. You know, ridiculous and stupid things, but if we go back 2,000 plus years, that's how they viewed the The gods, this God who would steal this other god or goddess and have a child with her. God is not like that. But Jesus taught us to approach God as our father, to approach him like we would a parent. And so when we look then, how is God our father? Well, it's his choice of adopting us. Now, there are many different metaphors that Paul and some of the other New Testament authors use to describe our relationship with God. The idea that, and we probably recognize these not just from scripture, from the songs that we sing, God is the potter and we are the clay and he's molding and working and shaping. Or there is this tree and God is the gardener grafting us in to what he already has created, or like Paul is describing uh, God's interaction with uh, the Thessalonian believers, like a, like a mother nursing her child in gentleness and love and care. But probably the greatest metaphor that repeatedly comes, Old Testament and New Testament, uh about how we know and understand God and his love for us is that God adopted us. God chose to be our Father and it chose to adopt us as his children um, Romans eight, a famous chapter, some people put a lot of weight on it, but i'm going to focus on i don 't the section in there where he calls that we were chosen by God. That we were adopted as sons and daughters. That we are adopted as sons and daughters. That God knows us, knows our past, knows where we've been, knows where we are going. And chose to adopt us as his sons and daughters. Or Ephesians 1 uh, the f- famous passage that, again, getting back to where does God's sovereignty end and where does free will begin, we're not going to answer the question of what Paul meant by God chose us. I, you guys can argue that and debate that and uh, however you want, but the fact that Paul said God saw us, knows us, and still chose us for the purpose of being adopted as his sons and daughters. Or as uh, Andrew read for me from Galatians 4, again, in the midst of all these lessons Paul is sharing with his church, reminding them that God knows who they are, and still chose to adopt them as sons and daughters. Again, uh, I've You guys know us. You know our personal story. I've shared our, our journey, testimony, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, maybe I see this as a deeper or different way because... Uh, We have now adopted three children. I wish I would have, I don't know if, I don't like the fact that I don't know if I would have fully understand God adopting us as his children and God being my father without going through the perspective of, you know, us adopting our three children. Um, We just wrapped up, uh, we closed our home as foster parents. Uh, six years, um, three children later, um, but at least has given me a different perspective on if, or I I certainly understand the amount of love and claiming these children as my own. That I am going to uh, be your father. We use the the words of adoption or with our kids. So that that's nothing new to them. I don't think they really fully understand what that means, but we use those words with them. We've used, we mentioned before, we use the books by Michael Bond, the Paddington Bear books, that was sort of revived in 2014 with a couple movies, because well, they may not understand what the words Adoption means they might say it, and uh at least we can sort of subconsciously put into their minds that you know what you see with this bear and it is what what happened with you. If you don't know the story, Michael Bond wrote these books these children's books where uh a bear he couldn't be cared for anymore, so his aunt Lucy sent him to Paddington station where he is picked up by a family, and they welcome him into his their home, and he becomes a part of their home and family, just like all their children. And it's for children, and it's silly, and the books are all about, and then obviously the movies expanded all of these silly adventures the bear gets into, you know. But at its core, as we are talking to our kids about adoption, and showing them, reading them these books, showing them these movies, the greater lesson that hopefully they learn is that, again, as much as (laughs) he is, Paddington is adopted and, you know, a part of this family, that's what what you are as well. He's as much as part of them as as you guys are in our family. And we use that vernacular that... uh, DFS shares of, you know, the this was your heart mommy or your, your tummy mommy who couldn't care for you, but, you know, this is your heart mommy. But all of these are sort of getting into adoption. And I say, and I share our story because I don't know if I would have had a better a fully, uh, a more fuller appreciation and understanding for what Paul was teaching and the metaphor he's trying to use without being an adoptive parent. But if God's love for me, if my love for my children are just a fraction of God's love for me, then it's overwhelming what then God has his love for each and every one of us. You know, I... If we want to understand who God is, uh, then we have to start with understanding adoption and understanding that God knows us, he knows our past, and he still chooses to adopt each and every one of us as his child. God knows us. He knows our failings. He knows where we struggle. He knows where we sin. He knows what we think. And he still wants us to carry his name. That God knows everything we've done in the past. God knows all the mistakes and failings or even betrayal that may be in our future. And he still chooses each and every one of us. And again, um, I would say, if we want to get an idea of who God is, and know who he is, and understand his love for us, then it starts with understanding his adoption of us. I just put a few quotes two of them are from a uh, a pastor from the Richmond area who obviously he uh he's a pastor he's an author he works a lot with organizations that help build churches he's the one who says look the the gospel changes paul uses this metaphor of justification and No, this idea that we are before a judge, we are in a courtroom, that we are now justified and made righteous by God. But in God's choosing of us, that's no longer a trial of our guilt or innocence. It's an adoption ceremony because God has chosen us. Or that in justification, God declared us righteous, but in adoption, he declared us his I want you, you are mine. In spite of everything I know about you, I want you as my child. Um, or the last quote from J.I. Packer in Knowing God, which is a very good book, a heavy book, um, but in his chapter on adoption, his perspective for all Christians is that, you know, father is the Christian name for God, Father is how Jesus taught us to approach God. But our understanding of Christianity cannot be greater than our grasp of adoption. That we cannot fully know and understand God, who he is, what he wants from us, and how he loves us, unless we can begin to wrap our brain around God's adoption of us, that he sees us, he knows us, and he still chooses to claim us as his. With any baggage that may come with that, no matter what, he knows us, and he still chooses us, and chooses to love us, love us, unfailingly. So what do we take from that? Um obviously the the point of this is not to answer every question about knowing God and his nature and character and understanding his love. We could probably spend years on this topic digging through it and still not come to a a clarifying end and succinctly wrapping that all up. Hopefully today we just have a different facet to look at God and our relationship with him or more importantly looking at God in in a different way to understand who he is his heart and his love for us but how does this change again how we see God how we understand him and his nature and character that this is at the core of his relationship with us how does this change how we fully understand him and how much he loves us. Again, I know how much love I have for each and every one of my children. If I love them that much as a sinful, self-centered, frail human being, how much greater is God's love for each and every one of us? And based on that love, and based on that choice that God makes of each and every one of us to adopt us as his children, how does that change how we love all those around us that we come in contact with each day? You have been listening to the Trussler Mennonite Sermon from February 25th, 2024. The passage was Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Take care.